This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. In the book of James, over toward the end of the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God doesn't like people to be prideful in the wrong sense of the word because it hurts us and God wants us to be blessed, certainly. I preached a sermon one time on the seven, a series of sermons on the seven deadly sins. When we came to that sermon on pride, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Preacher, what about those people who do not think too highly of themselves? How about people who have a very low opinion of themselves? This person observed, I think there may be more of these than there are people that you spoke about this morning when you were preaching on pride. And he suggested I might consider preaching sometime on the other side of the matter. Well, I, I really believe that this man had a message from God to give me after that sermon that Sunday. Because I agree with his observation that many, many people today are suffering from a feeling of inferiority, of worthlessness. It's not our text for today, but maybe we need to look very closely at James chapter 4, verse 10 to see what happens when we do humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. This, the Bible says, is when the Lord will lift you up. Now, if you've come to this service this morning here at Ocean Lakes, knowing that you don't quite measure up to what God expects of you, knowing full well the depth of your own powerlessness, you're keenly conscious of sin in your life, which gives you not only humility, but also a sense of shame, then it just may well be that God is waiting to say something to you right now. Listen to what God is saying. One night several years ago, a man took his life in New York City's Central Park, and all the police found was a, crude, a crudely scribbled note beside his body. The note said this, I'm a nothing, an absolute nobody. I'm just a peanut in Yankee Stadium. I've decided to step on myself once and for all. Those words in that suicide note illustrate rather tragically and yet vividly the relationship between what one thinks about oneself and what one actually does to self. Belief and behavior are closely related. Here was a man who believed something about himself, and although that belief was totally wrong, yet it was crucial to the way he acted and to what he did to himself. Someone has said that the preacher's real business should be to tell people who they are. People forget that, as did the prodigal son. Let me ask you this all-important question. Who do you think you are? While you're thinking about that answer for a moment, let me tell you about the mentally disturbed man in a government building in Washington. He was seen rushing wildly from one office to another, 
flinging open the doors of closets and filing drawers, hunting in wastebaskets, crawling under tables, looking under the carpet. And finally, he was caught by one of the guards in the building who said, what are you looking for? The man replied, I'm looking for me. I'm trying to find myself. There was a reporter who was commenting on this situation, said that if a person had to lose his mental balance, then Washington, D.C. was a good place for it to happen because there nobody would know the difference. Maybe this man was not so unbalanced after all, was he? Can anybody tell us who we are? I think the best answer I know to this question lies in the story of the prodigal son. You may know that story very well, but I want to take just a few minutes to read uh, the story, uh, not the entire story, but just uh, most of it, as we refresh our minds about this marvelous parable that Jesus told. It's found in Luke's Gospel, and I'm reading from chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 through uh, about 3, and then skip down to verse 11. Let's hear God's Word now. I'm reading from a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson called The Message. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. Wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a different, distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost, and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Such a marvelous story that Jesus told. 
Jesus tells us who we are. There's a process by which a person comes to know his own true identity. And I think we find the answer to our question through several stages. So for the next few minutes, look with me at these stages through which the prodigal son traveled. The first, I am the most important person in the world. That's the way the prodigal son felt. That's the way it begins with each of us. We all emerge into this life as little babies, completely dependent on others, completely self-centered. It might be a rather ridiculous thing to imagine, but let's, let's just pretend that a one-day-old baby in the hospital nursery could express his thoughts in adult language. What would that little child be thinking? Maybe something like this. Here comes the nurse. She has a bottle of milk in her hand. She's headed toward me, and boy, am I hungry. But I really shouldn't be so greedy. I think I'll suggest that she feed that little baby there over in the next crib first before she feeds me. Well, anybody who's ever been around babies knows that from all outward indications, no such thoughts ever would come near a little baby's mind. Rather, it's more like... I want what I want when I want it, and if you don't get it for me, I have a very effective way of calling attention to myself. That's really the way it is, probably. And sometimes people grow big in body, but still maintain this baby mentality of grasping greediness. This is where we see the prodigal son at first. He's asking for his inheritance. Said to his father, give me what's going to be mine. I want it right now. So he demanded arrogantly what he had not raised a finger to earn. In his own eyes, he was all that mattered. He was the center of the universe, bounded on the north, east, south, and west by nothing but his own desires. In the words of Paul, he thought more highly of himself than he ought to have thought. That's the first stage. I'm the most important person in the world. The next stage at which we see the prodigal son is one in which things have radically changed. For now, the second stage, he's a hired servant. He started out on top of the world, but now the world's on top of him. Rather than being on the move with everything going his way, we now see him flat on his back and motionless. Actually, he's a hired man in a hog pen feeding pigs better food than he had for himself. We almost have to rub our eyes to believe that this is the same young man we first saw. Well, what had happened? Back there in the father's house, to have heard this boy talk, you would have thought he was the sovereign of the whole universe. But then, when he went away from home, he had a head-on collision with reality. In a real sense, he didn't break the laws of reality. He was broken by them. There's an old story you may have heard about a, a golf professional who was asked to write an article on how to grow old and stay healthy. So this writer decided to research the project by finding the oldest man he could who was still alive and ask him for his formula for success. So soon afterwards, he noticed a, a man who gave every appearance of being far advanced in years. His skin was drawn and waxy. He was somewhat bent in appearance. As he walked, he shuffled along slowly. The golf pro decided that this would be the perfect man to interview. 
So he started asking this man about his daily habits. The man astonished the golf pro by saying that he played 18 holes of golf every morning. And then he went to the bar at the clubhouse and drank heavily. After lunch of fried foods and several desserts, he played another 18 holes of golf in the afternoon. And then he went out and painted the town red with his friends until about two or three o'clock in the morning. The professional was completely shocked by these excesses. And he asked the man, do you follow this same schedule every day? The man feebly answered, yes, I certainly do, seven days a week. The pro then ventured to ask, excuse me for asking, but just out of curiosity, sir, would you mind telling me how old you are? The man replied, I'm 26. <laughs> This is a clear example of what happens when we try to become a self-made person in a God-made universe. The prodigal son found out the hard way that he was not the God he had thought himself to be. Rather, he was a very human being who had to live by God's laws. Coming to this sort of awareness can be a terrible experience to go through. It can make a person go all the way from one extreme to the other. And yes, there are some people who at this point conclude that they are nothing more than a peanut in Yankee Stadium. But for the prodigal son, it did not all stop right there. There was a third stage in his growth, and this is the good news. He came to himself. This is a medical term which is used like coming to. When a person has fainted, say, well, he came to this prodigal son began to sense the truth about his own identity. His thoughts turned toward home and his father and the way of life back there. For some strange reason, those very things that had been so, he had been so anxious to get away from now seemed to appear to him in a different light. There was also a corresponding feeling he now had about himself, and that was unworthiness. He knew that his journey to this place in life had caused him to forfeit his right to sonship. He was no longer worthy to be called a son or to be treated as one. Yes, that prodigal son came to himself. Someone said rather humorously, he lost his hat, he lost his coat, he lost his shirt. Finally, he came to himself. What was the truth about himself that he now saw? He realized that both former extremes were wrong. He was not the God of the universe, nor was he in his right element as a hired servant. He was somewhere in between being God and being an animal. He came to himself. And what did he realize when he did that? He realized that he was a son and the last step in this boy's life was such a very important one. That is, he came to his father. He knew he had blown it. The prodigal son realized that he was no longer worthy to be called a son or to be treated as one. And therefore, it was not out of a great sense of hope and expectation that he came back to his father. It was just plain homesickness that he decided made him decide to return. He would honestly confess his error 
hoped to get a job as a hired hand on his father's place. That's all he could expect, even if he could get that much. In that spirit, I can imagine the prodigal trudging home, not in much of a hurry, both wanting to get home, also dreading the time when he arrived. But to his absolute amazement, when he got almost home, his father saw him coming, ran down the road to meet him, covered him with tears of joy, and gave orders to the servants to bring out the symbols of sonship, the robe, the ring, and shoes. Everybody didn't have shoes. You remember the spiritual, the people in days of slavery, they sang, you got shoes, I got shoes, you got shoes, all God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes. I'm going to walk all over God's heaven. Shoes were a symbol of sonship. I don't know if the truth hit the prodigal son all at once or whether it took some time to soak in, but somehow he must have been able to get the message which his father kept on sending out. Once a son, always a son. Once a son, always a son. You see, sonship is not something we can throw off by what we do or how we act. Once a son, always a son. You know, when we stop to think about it, no one becomes a child by earning it or by deciding to be one. It is something we become by the actions of other people. All we can do is to accept our sonship joyfully, gratefully. And therefore, the very minute the prodigal son was willing to accept his sonship, he found that his father was more than willing to be his father. In fact, that was what the father had been waiting to affirm for the one who had never quit being his son. I think Jesus told us this parable not just to show us a wayward son, but also to show us what the Father in heaven is like. This story shows us we are sons and daughters of God, but it also tells us that no matter how we have sinned, God still accepts us as his own if we accept the role he has given to us. Once a child, always a child. This is what the prodigal son learned on that dusty road back from the far country. And this has to be the very best news that could ever reach a sinner's ears. So I come back then to my original question. Who do you think you are? One September morning, a father and his son were at the place where they would go their separate ways. The son was getting ready to get on his ride to go to college for the first time. Just for a moment, the father stood there looking at his boy, of whom he was so proud. The father wanted to say so many things before the son left to go to college. But all the father said to him was this, Jim, never forget who you are. That statement was worth more than a book of rules or lectures on behavior. It was a challenge to something deep in that boy's heart. Never forget who you are. The Jewish people have endured centuries of stormy history. They've been scattered, they've been persecuted, beaten, ill-treated. 
For just like Daniel in Babylon, they have kept their faces stubbornly turned toward Jerusalem. A tyrant king once complained about his Jewish slaves. The, that wicked king says, These stubborn Jews do not make good slaves. Something in their stupid religion gives them an air of haughtiness and unfits them for subjection. Exactly. Something in their stupid religion. You can never enslave people who know who they are. Oh, you may capture their bodies, but you cannot capture their hearts and their minds. Jesus comes to you today to say, I know who you are. You are a person who was created for sonship of the Heavenly Father, not just by creation, but more especially by redemption. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're the greatest thing in the world? Or a peanut in Yankee Stadium? Or maybe you've learned what the prodigal son learned so long ago that you're neither of these. You are a son, a daughter, a child of God. The greatest news I can think of is the fact that when we get carried away in our own wrongdoing, our own sin, either by trying to be more than we are or less than we are, our sin is not enough to break the bond of love that God has for you and me. When we wander astray, Jesus is always right there waiting for us calling us to come on back home to the Father's house. Once a child, always a child. And Jesus is right there now, waiting to prove it to you once again. Would you let him? Lord, we do want to come home. We've all wandered astray like lost sheep. But the beauty of what we know about you is that you love us anyhow. You know everything there is to know about every one of us, and you love us anyhow. May that be a transforming truth for us today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.